Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. This week we are going to go over the disappearance of Monique Daniels. There is not going to be a video podcast for this one just because I haven't had the time. Hopefully I'll be able to get a video up of this case soon, but right now that's just not happening. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod. On Facebook, you can search Great Unsolved and find the group and the page. Let's get into the very eerie disappearance of Monique Daniels. If you have any information in the Monique Daniels case, you can call the Moore Police Department at 405-793-5151 or the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation at 405-848-6724. Monique was born on June 16th of 1976, so she would be 46 today if she was still alive. She was the oldest out of three siblings and two half-siblings. She went missing on June 2nd of 1992 from Moore, Oklahoma at just 15 years old. At the time of her disappearance, she was 5 foot 4 inches tall, weighed 125 pounds, was said to be wearing a men's large green military flight jacket and a men's diamond ring. It's said that this diamond ring was taped to keep it on since it was not her size. Most likely, she had wrapped tape around, like, the bottom part of the ring so that it just didn't slip around and it had a tighter fit. She was a white female with blonde hair and blue eyes. She has a half-moon-shaped scar on her left ankle and a three-inch scar on her right shin. She has a mole on her upper left, like right above her lip, and her upper left incisor tooth is chipped. Sometimes she wore blue wire-framed glasses, but not all the time. And there's a possibility that a blue Chevy pickup truck could be involved in her disappearance. So Monique Daniels was born to her mother Candace and her biological father, who I couldn't really find a name for. Candace and Monique's biological father had four children together, of which Monique was the oldest. But it said he was very abusive. It said he was verbally, physically, mentally, and maybe even sexually abusive, which obviously was not a good situation for Candace, 
or any of the four children. Eventually, Candace did leave him for good and for the good of herself and her children. I believe at this time, or he may have gotten out by now, but her biological father was in prison for sexual assault. It's not really pertinent to the case, but if we're going over a little bit of background, I thought I should mention that. So after leaving Monique's biological father, Candace fell in love again with a man named Charles, quote-unquote, Chuck Daniels. Throughout this, we will call him Chuck because that is what most sources call him, and I believe that's what he was called most often. Both Candace and Chuck had worked in the military, so they pretty much saw eye-to-eye on how to raise the children and keep their house in order. This also meant that it was a pretty strict household. It said that they ran their home like drill sergeants, they had a strict routine, strict chores for everybody, and just very strict rules for the six children. I forgot to mention that Candace and Chuck did eventually have two children. From outside eyes, this doesn't really seem abusive, but it was definitely more of a strict household than most are. However, I can kind of understand this with Candace already having four children and then her and Chuck having two more for a total of six. Some places do say there was seven children altogether, but most state that there were six children. So we're going to go with six. And if that's wrong, then most sources are wrong. So like I said, to the outside eye, the home didn't seem abusive. It just seemed very strict. And I think we've all met people in like elementary school or middle school or even high school where their household is a lot more strict than yours or maybe your household was a lot more strict than theirs. So it's not that weird to me to have people be kind of like, oh, that's interesting because it's just such different strictness, if that makes sense. However, after Monique disappeared, Two of her siblings would state that there was actually a lot of abuse in the Daniels' home. Angelique, who was Monique's sister, and Andrew, Monique's brother, stated that there was both physical and verbal abuse inside the home. After Monique disappeared, Angelique actually took a bus from their home in Oklahoma to Michigan, and when she arrived there, she contacted CPS and reported her parents to them due to abuse in the home. She was only 15 at this time, but she was fairly determined to bring these child abuse charges against her parents, well, her mother and her stepfather, probably because she had experienced it and she knew there was still four other children in that home. However, Candace and Chuck have denied these allegations, They have stated that both Angelique and Andrew were mentally unstable and had substance abuse problems, so they basically implied to the public that the account of these two children should not be trusted. However, we'll get a little bit more into the accounts later, 
and it seems a lot more than just something they made up. From family and friends' accounts of Monique, it is said that she was what everyone wished they could be. She was very well-liked, she was pretty, she had a lot of friends, and it said she was incredibly smart. She was described as someone who always wanted to help others and put others before herself. Apparently, she even wanted to become a doctor, which people thought she would be great at due to her smartness and how compassionate she is for others. It seems like the majority of people who knew her talk very fondly about her, and the ones who don't are her mother, her stepfather, and the children that are still defending her mother and her stepfather, if that's the right word. There's not a ton of information between Monique leaving her biological father with her mother and her three other siblings until she was 15, the year she went missing. But besides the abuse, I believe everything was pretty much normal, as normal as it could be with abuse happening. At 15 years old, which was the year she disappeared, but I believe this was earlier in the year because she disappeared only about two weeks before she was to turn 16. But at 15 years old, Monique became pregnant, and this was not okay in their household. Once again, it was run like the military, and they were said to be a pretty religious family, so this was kind of looked down upon, and the parents were outraged at this. So Chuck forced Monique to get an abortion, which Monique did not want to do at all. It is stated she really wanted to have the child and raise it, and she thought she could do it. In my opinion, that is just another layer of abuse. It's being controlling in one of probably the most controlling ways you can be controlling. I'm not explaining that great, but it's very it's a very traumatic experience for pretty much anyone, and especially for someone who was only 15, as I'm sure it was for Monique. I don't think this should have ever been forced on her, and it just kind of adds to the suspicion mounting on Chuck and Candace Daniels. After this forced abortion, Monique, understandably, in my opinion, ran away from home. Both Candace and Chuck freaked out at this and began searching right away. They ended up reporting her missing to police, and they seemed really genuinely worried about Monique not being at home. Luckily, she was just at a friend's house, and it's said that she ended up staying there for quite some time before coming home, but at least she was found fairly quickly. When she finally came home, understandably, again, things were tense. Monique would fight with Chuck the most, and sometimes Monique would fight with Candace as well. But something tells me she was not always the one starting the arguments. It seemed like everyone was against Monique, 
at least her parents. Some people who look at the case will say she was just being a teenager, and she was, but with the added layers of abuse, the forced abortion, and just disruption in the house, her parents were not helping her like they should have helped a teenager. They were just making things worse. I believe it was just a few weeks after Monique had come home, Candace, Angelique, and Monique's oldest of her younger brothers left for a week trip with their church choir. Angelique would later state that her mom was super off this entire week, which later, people speculate, it's almost like she knew something was happening back at their home. She was pretty quiet, and Angelique just says something did not seem right. After these three left, it left Chuck, Monique, and three of her younger brothers at home. It was later stated, either by Chuck or Andrew, one of the brothers that was left at home that would later speak out, that Monique and Chuck got in a huge argument. Could have been their largest one yet. I do want to have a disclaimer that I believe some of the information of what happened did come from Chuck, so it could only be trusted as much as he can, which isn't much, but I believe other parts came from Andrew, who was there, and some reports of the house and how things worked in the family came from Angelique as well, which, in my opinion, are two people we can trust a lot more than Chuck. If this argument did happen, it was pretty normal in the house, so I don't think the three younger brothers in the home would find it unusual. They were young, and it really wasn't their job to mediate things. After this alleged fight at the Daniels household, Chuck apparently said he decided to take the three boys on a spontaneous fishing trip, and he says that he announced this to Monique as well. Before the three boys and Chuck left to go on this fishing trip, Chuck told the boys that they had to go say goodbye to Monique. However, he emphasized that they could not go into her room under any circumstances, and that piece comes from Andrew. He states that they were told to say their goodbye to her from the hallway, and from their place in the hallway, there was a crack in her bedroom door, like it was just open a little bit, and Andrew states that they could see her legs and feet sticking out from the end of the bed. So, kind of makes you think she's sitting with her back to the footboard of the bed with her feet out and the door opened away from the bed. Later, Andrew would also state that she was super still. He said she was too still and she never responded when they said goodbye, which was very odd to them. Another one of her brothers, though, Charles, states that he gave Monique a hug before leaving on the fishing trip, and she stated that while she wanted to go with them, she couldn't. So it all depends on who you trust in this case. 
I don't know whether Andrew or Charles was older, but probably go with whoever's older because the younger one might be able to get things mixed up a little bit. And Andrew's account seems to line up with Monique's disappearance and some of the theories a little bit more. On the same day, a neighbor stated that they saw Monique loading some things into a blue Chevy pickup that a white male was sitting in. So there's a possibility that this blue Chevy pickup is involved in her disappearance. So without any fishing gear, Chuck and the three boys set out for their spontaneous fishing trip. They drove two hours in the pouring rain, which is also not great weather for fishing. Then they got off at a random exit, got food at a fast food restaurant, and then drove two hours back home without going fishing on their quote-unquote fishing trip. It is later speculated that this could be a little bit of a setup for Chuck to have an alibi in this case. Eventually, they did get back to the family home, but Chuck made the three boys wait in the car for over an hour, according to Andrew. Once Chuck did come back outside and let the boys out, Andrew, the one who reported Monique was super still and not talking when they had said goodbye over five hours earlier, ran to the bathroom because he needed to go so bad. As soon as he entered the bathroom, he says he got just a really bad feeling. He says that it felt as if he was not alone, and just the description of that, and the fact that we would find out Monique was missing later, gives us a very eerie, creepy feeling. He said normally the shower curtain would be open, but this time it was closed around the bathtub, and he got the intense feeling that someone was in that bathtub. He would later state that he felt Monique was in that bathtub, or at least her body was, which would be the most plausible option. But before he could check behind the shower curtain, Chuck busted into the bathroom and yanked him out of there like he was obviously not supposed to be in there. This is something in this case that kind of just draws me to it because that seems like a horror movie scenario as all these murders and missing persons cases are. But just imagining the bad feeling of somebody being in the bathtub and you not being alone is just extra creepy to me in this case. So once Chuck pulled Andrew out of the bathroom, he ended up locking all three boys in a room and stated that he was going to go look for Monique. Not sure when he addressed that Monique was not home, but whatever, he locked them in this bedroom. It is reported, most likely by Andrew, even though I do not have confirmation of that, that they stayed here for two full days until Chuck returned to let them out. When they were let out, Monique was nowhere to be found. A lot of people speculate that Chuck was probably 
cleaning some things up while the boys were stuck in the car. And then when he put them in the bedroom, he cleaned up a little more and took Monique's body out of the bathtub where he would have put it when the boys were in the car and disposed of it. After those two days where the boys were locked in this bedroom, Chuck came in and took one of the boys out and brought him on a long car ride. This brother that went on the ride with Chuck reported that there was an oil barrel in the bed of the truck, which was not normal for Chuck or his truck. However, it's unknown, at least to the public, where they went or where or when the barrel disappeared. But once again, it's believed by a lot of people, and I can kind of follow the theory that the oil barrel contained Monique's body. Later that week, Candace, Angelique, and the other brother returned from the church choir trip. And according to them, well, Angelique most likely, the house was in complete disarray. The house was normally very clean because it was run like a military barracks. It was very routine. There was a lot of chores and rules. So this was extremely abnormal. So how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 US and DC. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. It had beer cans all over it and cigarettes all over it. And the furniture also had cigarette burns in it, which would be both alarming and annoying in really any household. Chuck simply told Candace that Monique was gone again. And Candace seemed to go along with this simple statement without an explanation, and it seemed she was pretty unconcerned about her daughter's whereabouts. An empty pregnancy test box was also found on the counter in the bathroom, which I kind of could attribute to, obviously, either Monique had taken it, and maybe if she took it and she was pregnant, she ran away to avoid getting another abortion, or it could have been set up like that by Chuck, who wanted to have a reason for Monique running away. Although Monique had disappeared from the home before, like I mentioned earlier, when she was found at a friend's house, this time seemed very different to all of Monique's siblings. First time, both Candace and Chuck were super worried. They filed a missing persons report right away. They started searching right away. 
but this time it was pretty calm and unconcerned. They didn't seem worried about Monique. They didn't really tell anyone. They didn't tell the police. And they did not search for her. Which, if your child ran away multiple times before and they ran away this time under maybe the same circumstances, I could see being a little less worried, but that doesn't mean you don't look for them or you don't talk to police. And this time, Monique, I believe she had only run away one time before, and obviously when Angelique, Candace, and the other brother got back to the house, things were very odd in the house. So it's not just a, oh, she ran away to her friend's house. It seems a lot more concerning than that. And it seems like a good parent would be a lot more concerned about their daughter being missing. In addition to Chuck and Candace not being concerned with Monique not being home, the family began to push Monique out of their life. They ended up taking new family photos without Monique, obviously, and put these up in the home in the frames that formerly held the family photos with Monique. It's reported that her six siblings were banned from speaking about her, and it was kind of seeming as if Chuck and Candace wanted to just erase the memory of Monique entirely. Maybe then they would find it less odd that Monique never came home. It just, it doesn't make sense. From the Charlie Project, quote, Chuck reportedly said the house was so much better and tranquil in the aftermath of Monique's disappearance, end quote. Around six months after Monique disappeared from the family home, her aunt, her mother's sister, asked for the missing persons report that the parents had filed, or that she believed the parents had filed, because that's what most people would do. She said she wanted to put it into the database for missing and exploited children, because she thought they may find Monique easier that way due to the reach of the database. Candace at first told her sister that she would find the report and get it to her, but it never came. Then Candace admitted that they had never actually filed a missing persons report for Monique. Angelique later stated that her parents said that if Monique wanted to be here, she would be. So this is basically stating that her siblings, the family, didn't need to worry about Monique and that Monique didn't want to be with them. Chuck and Candace wouldn't file a missing persons report for Monique until 1994, which was about two years after she disappeared. Conveniently for the Daniels family, right after the aunt asked for the missing persons report, quote, Monique called the home and spoke to Angelique, stating that she was okay. She just was not coming home. That night, Candace called the entire family and stated that Monique was alive and okay. Once again, it seems as if Monique's parents were trying to assure everyone 
to just not look into where Monique was and that it wasn't something to worry about at all. In the coming weeks, the family also received some letters that were said to be from Monique. In them, quote, Monique stated that she was now married and had a child named Chelsea. She said that her and her family had moved to Alaska, but she was happy and that everything was okay with her, so no one needed to worry. I do kind of have to mention that some of these sources state that this call and these letters came just a week after she disappeared. Others say six months, and others say much longer. I believe it was after six months after the aunt asked for the missing persons report. Maybe it was a few weeks after that. But there are many different accounts of when these letters and this phone call happened. The aunt of Monique, seemingly the only adult who kind of had a conscience or a working brain in this whole thing, was very suspicious because the calls and the letters seemed to line up with questioning about where Monique was and why the missing persons report was never filed. Maybe rather than looking like bad parents or sounding more suspicious, they faked these letters and the phone call. It did seem like a very convenient cover-up. The aunt, because of her suspicions, actually scheduled a handwriting analysis appointment at the police department for these two mysterious letters. She was believing that Candace had written these letters. If she had, this most likely meant that something was super wrong in the case of Monique. If a parent needs to kind of throw suspicion off of them, obviously whatever happened was not good. But before this handwriting analysis could happen, another very coincidental and convenient thing happened. The Daniels home got broken into. Apparently furniture was all tipped over, there were radios missing, but the main thing that was odd was that the letters were missing. These were the letters that the aunt wanted to analyze the next day, which made this seem 100% like a staged burglary in order to avoid suspicion when the letters were found out to not have been written by Monique. About a year after this, Angelique had enough of the lies and abuse in her home, and she ran away to Michigan, where her aunt and her other family lived, so there was a place for her to stay. This is what I mentioned in the beginning. She took a bus from Oklahoma to Michigan, and immediately when Angelique ran away, Chuck and Candace filed a missing persons report and began to look for her, which was incredibly different from the reaction when Monique went missing. Although this was 22 months after Monique went missing, this was the first time they reported her missing because it was just kind of convenient. They were going to report Angelique missing, so why not just get both out of the way? When Angelique's aunt picked her up from the bus stop in Michigan, Angelique admitted to faking the phone call from Monique and writing the letters. 
She stated that Chuck was telling her that Candace, her mother, was suicidal since Monique left, and that if they made it seem like Monique was okay, then Candace would be okay. So Angelique did it not to cover up her sister's disappearance, but to try and help her mother. To make these letters seem even more realistic, Angelique and Chuck drove down to Texas to mail the letters. This is where the letters stated that Monique, who had moved to Alaska, was traveling with her husband and daughter due to her husband's work. As soon as Angelique admitted this, they went straight to the police and told them everything about the weird circumstances surrounding Monique's disappearance and the faking of the letters and the phone call. Angelique also filed papers at this time, stating that her parents were mentally or verbally and physically abusive. The Daniels were trying to get Angelique extradited back to Oklahoma, back to her home, but the judge believed Angelique's reports of abuse, meaning she did not have to go back home to Oklahoma. Chuck and Candace ended up pleading no contest to these abuse charges, but Chuck also confessed to the letters and the phone call being fake. However, neither Chuck nor Candace agreed to take a polygraph regarding Monique's disappearance. This case kind of went nowhere for a while. Andrew ended up calling Angelique when he was 13 years old and told her that he needed to leave the household. Chuck and Candace were still abusive, but since no one could really do anything about it, he unfortunately ended up having to stay in the abusive household. After this, the Daniels family moved to Germany for 10 years with the remaining four children. Once they got back into the States, some new interesting information came out. Andrew called Angelique again and stated, quote, she wasn't saying anything, end quote. Angelique was pretty confused at first, so Andrew explained that when he had gone to her room to say goodbye to her on the day they had the suspicious fishing trip and Monique disappeared, she was incredibly still and was not talking back to them at all. She was not saying goodbye to them. Together, these two siblings had the same idea that Chuck killed Monique and so Andrew and Angelique went to police together. Because of the lack of evidence and lack of a body, the police cannot make this case a homicide case yet. However, as of today, it is still considered an open missing persons case. Crime Watch Daily did a segment on this case and went to Chuck and Candace's home in Florida, where they now live, to try and get an interview. Both of them seemed pretty agitated that anyone was even bringing up Monique again, despite her still being missing and no proof that she was still alive, and they both said the same thing. Quote, it's in God's hands now. End quote. So moving on to theories, I have basically two theories that go along with this case, and I believe most people believe either of these as well. 
They both include the homicide of Monique Daniels and Chuck being the one who committed this homicide. One theory is that it was more of an accidental homicide. They were said to be fighting right before Monique went still and silent. Maybe because Chuck was abusive, he ended up hitting her too hard or pushed her and she hit her head. Either way, she was knocked out. So then to kind of cover it up and not worry the sons more, he propped her up to sit so that the boys couldn't see the upper half of her body and couldn't see that she was unconscious when they said goodbye to her. Since he didn't think like she hit her head that bad, he thought she just got knocked out. So he took the boys for a few hours so that Monique could wake up and kind of recover. When he got back home, he made the boys wait in the car so that he could check on Monique, make sure she was awake, and make sure she wouldn't say anything. However, when he entered the room, he thought Monique was still passed out. From there, maybe he carried her to the tub to try and splash water on her face to wake her up, but then after a while realized she was dead, not just asleep. He knew that he needed to get the boys inside before starting to clean up more, because otherwise it's even more suspicious. So he closed the shower curtain and let the boys in. This is when Andrew ran into the bathroom and got the eerie feeling that he was not alone and that somebody was in the covered tub. But after this, he locked the boys in the room and proceeded to clean up the home and later dispose of Monique's body in the oil barrel. Theory number two is similar, except Chuck purposefully inflicted blunt force trauma on Monique or strangled her. These are just my two theories for cause of death because these would be relatively quiet and probably a little less messy ways of killing her since the boys were still in the home. Then he took the boys on that odd road trip to kind of form an alibi for the time he was going to say Monique left the home. And when he returned home, he started the cover-up cleanup of the murder. Like I said, both of these end up in him putting Monique in the unknown oil barrel, taking one of the boys, and driving to an unknown place and dumping her body. This could also be, either of these could be a reason why the open, empty pregnancy test box was in the bathroom, like I said earlier, could have been an easy way to kind of mount suspicion that she ran away on her own because she had wanted to keep the child she had been pregnant with earlier that year. None of this has been proven, it's all alleged, but in my opinion, which is just suspicions, alleged, it is not fact, it has not been proven, I firmly believe that Chuck killed Monique, whether accidentally or purposefully, but once again, that's just speculation. Otherwise, I feel like there is no explanation for his actions surrounding her disappearance. 
And I'm kind of back and forth on whether Candace knew what happened. Angelique would later state her mother was pretty off the entire week they were gone, which could make sense if she knew what had happened or what was going to happen if it was planned. And when they got back, she was very calm about Monique missing. She didn't really care. She just said, oh, okay, and just left it. And just her willingness to believe the phone call and tell the entire family kind of makes me think maybe she didn't know, but she could have just been using that kind of excitement of Monique calling, writing, still being alive as a cover-up so that they were not as suspicious. So that is the end of the Monique Daniels case. Hopefully I'll get a video up on it soon. It is a very interesting case to me. It is a very sad case for both Monique and all her siblings who went through the abuse, even though they did not disappear or get murdered like Monique. But hopefully it could be solved one day because we have the accounts of her siblings and Candace and Chuck are both still alive, I believe but it's just an eerie case. Anyways, if you don't already, follow us on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod. You can search Great Unsolved on Facebook, find our page and our group. All those links will be down below, as well as TikTok link, blog link. So stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your week. (laughs) 